I forgot just now to wish you a Happy New Year. So, Happy New Year. Can I get you to uh, please turn with me to uh, Romans 5. Uh, as Patrick mentioned, we're going back to our Romans series. Um, and in this next um, block, we will be doing uh, Romans 5 to 8. Uh, and this morning, we're looking at Romans 5, verses 12. Um, uh, and I f- we'll stop at the end of verse 19, I think, because 20 and 21 will go with uh, next week's uh, Romans 6. Right, so Romans 5. Now, on your way in, you would have received one of these handouts. Um, and uh, inside it, there's an outline of where we're going. Some people like to take notes. Uh, some people, uh, and if you do, then uh, if you're looking for a pencil, there's some down there at the welcome desk. Uh, some people just prefer to listen. In 1940, uh, Winston Churchill made a speech to encourage the people of Britain in the Second World War and to give them confidence and hope for the battle ahead. He spoke about how Britain had been rearming, uh, making it more difficult for the Germans to invade. He spoke about the willingness and the capacity of his country to fight the enemy, if necessary, alone if necessary, for years. And then he turned his subject matter to the Royal Air Force, uh, to the pilots who actually seemed to be turning the tide of the war. And speaking about these pilots, Winston Churchill made this very famous statement. He said this, Never in the field of human conflict was owed so much by so many to so few. Never in the field of human conflict was owed so much by so many to so few. Well, the Bible tells us that so, so, so much more is owed by so many to one man. One man has brought life to many. One man has made many right with God. One man has changed the course of human destiny. How can the actions of one man affect so many people? That is what the passage that we're looking at today in Romans 5 is all about. Before we look at it in detail, let's recall where we're up to in the book of Romans, uh, our previous series. We saw, uh, back in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Why? Because, verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That is, in the gospel, God shows us a way to be considered righteous. The gospel is the good news about Jesus, that he is Lord, that he died for our sins and rose again. And in the gospel, God shows us how to be justified. That is, how to be considered righteous, how to be declared not guilty, how to be acquitted. He offers us a righteousness that is based on faith, not our performance. Well, then the question is, why do we need God to do that? Why just stop just everyone just trying to be good? And the reason we needed it was verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See, none of us treat God properly. None of us love Him and honor Him and obey Him the way He deserves. We've all rebelled against Him and our actions are symptoms of that. 
how we treat God and how we treat each other. All of us are like that. Gentiles are sinners, are non-Jews, and Jews are sinners. And if we all face the judgment on the last day, judge strictly and justly for what we have done, we'll all be found guilty and deserve God's just wrath and condemnation. The Jews thought that maybe they could get right by obeying the law of Moses. But we can't get right with God by doing good things. Even the good things God told Israel to do through Moses. We, we can't undo what we've done. And we can't even obey the law properly anyway. But the law shows us our guilt. Right? So that is a summary of chapter 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 20. But the good news in the second half of chapter 3 is that God did what we could not do. God showed his own righteousness, his own justice, his own goodness by doing it. He presented his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a sacrifice that takes away wrath. So Jesus' death on the cross has taken away God's anger for our sins. Our sin has been punished. It has been rightly and justly and honorably dealt with. For Jesus took our place. And now we can be acquitted. We can be justified. And so in chapter 4, we double-click the word justified. And we saw that the word justified is a forensic word. It comes from the law courts. It means to be declared righteous. To be declared not guilty. To be acquitted. And so when the Holy Spirit in the scriptures talks about justification by faith, he's saying that God declares guilty people like you and me not guilty. Because Jesus bore our guilt. There is nothing that we can do to earn it or deserve it. It is a free gift from God. So our job is not to work for justification. In fact, we must, must even try to. Instead, we are to trust God for it. We are to trust the God who justifies the ungodly. We trust the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And when we trust Him, then we are counted as righteous. No need to wait for the final judgment. God has already given the verdict for those who have faith in Christ. God says, I consider you not guilty now and forever. I will not send you to hell. I will count you as righteous. I know, I know you're not really, but I will treat you as you are because you are in my Son. He was delivered up for your trespasses. He was raised because of your justification. Because all your sins have been completely dealt with by him. That was chapter 4. And then chapter 5 began by telling us the consequences of justification. Because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We are reconciled to him. No longer enemies at all. We stand in grace. Not going from being saved to unsaved every time we do something wrong and then going back to being saved again when we confess our sins. No, no, no. We live in grace. And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We look forward to the day when God will be glorified and we will be glorified with Him and reflect His glory. And until that day, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that God is using them all to make us more like Jesus and prepare us for that day. And we can do that because we are confident in God's love. The Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. 
by pointing us back to the cross for at the death of Jesus God's love is so clearly demonstrated while we were still sinners Christ died for us and so now that we know that Christ has died for us we have been justified by faith we know we will certainly be with him in glory and be saved from the day when God brings his wrath on this sinful world we have justification reconciliation salvation that was the first half of chapter 5 and now in our passage today Paul wants to make it very very clear that all these wonderful benefits have come to us because of one man one and only the Lord Jesus Christ now the passage looks a little bit difficult at first doesn't it until you realize that Paul's main point is actually very simple one act of righteousness the death of Jesus leads to justification and life for everyone that's the point one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for you and for me that is the point that he's making everything else in this passage is explanation or defense so we'll look at it together you work that out as you read the beginning of the passage in chapter 5, verse 12. The first starts off with one half of a comparison. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and then you'd expect him to say, well, so also, then something opposite, or something similar, or something you can pair, compare with the fact that, that sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and death spread to all, but... But he doesn't. He doesn't actually finish that first sentence. Our English translations note that, show that by the dash. You see the dash at the end of verse 12? Instead, what Paul does, he actually goes on to explaining and in fact defending that, that last little bit. As if Paul realized under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that he needed to answer an objection to that last part before he goes on to finish his sentence, so he's, he's distracted to do so. One thing leads to another, and so he actually doesn't come back to that point that he started in verse 12 until verse 18, and there it is in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So that's the point he started making that's the point he comes back to. And that is the main point that he's making here. And that is what we're looking to look at in detail again today. Look at verse 18 again. It starts with the word, therefore. Right. Our speaker last week reminded us, whenever we see the word therefore, what do we ask? What is the? Therefore, therefore. Right. And that is right. Uh, therefore in verse 18 is actually we saw the same therefore as in verse 12 really because verse 18 is coming back to verse 12 and what's the therefore there in verse 12 well it's linking it back to what we've seen earlier in the chapter justification life for us in glory all through the death of Jesus all the stuff we read in the first half of verse chapter 5 and so because of all that Paul says in verse 12 therefore and he echoes himself in verse 18 as he completes the sentence Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, 
What was his trespass that leads to death? The word trespass means the, the breaking of a specific law. Remember in our Old Testament reading this morning, God said to Adam, Do not eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And what did Adam do? He ate. That is a trespass. God makes a rule, and we break it. Trespass. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. Paul knew that. The Jews knew that. They held the Old Testament. They all agreed on that. And remember, in chapters 3, 4, and 5 of Romans, Paul has been explaining that through Jesus, everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, can be justified, have life with God forever. He says, well, through this one trespass, this one act of righteousness, there's justification in life for all men. And before that, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. He's saying to the Jewish guy, look, if you know and you accept that through one man came sin and death and condemnation, then it so shouldn't be so hard to accept that through one man comes the opposite of that. Right? So verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We've already been reminded from the first four chapters of Romans how one man's obedience makes many righteous. The death of the Lord Jesus in our place paid for our sins. But we want to ask, how does one man's disobedience make many sinners? Now, Paul doesn't actually spell it out for us in Romans. Because it's not his point. Right? His point is the obedience of Jesus. How it affects many. What Adam did is to show that one affects many. You see, Paul's first readers... They would have known all about Adam. He's trying to teach them about Christ. We tend to know more about Christ if we look at this passage and try and work out Adam. And it's difficult. Uh, and it's an issue that actually systematic theologians have been arguing about for centuries. Uh, there are some right answers, possibly right answers, some definitely wrong answers to the question. Let me just sketch a little map for you to show you what, what they're saying. Okay? We all know that we follow Adam's example. We all sin ourselves. But we know this can't just simply be following Adam's example because the rest of the Bible shows that our, 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 sin, our, our nature is hopelessly sinful and corrupt. Adam had a neutral nature. He could have gone either way, one level. But we now have a sinful nature. We, we naturally sin. That's got to be part of it. Uh, but there seems to be more than that. One man's disobedience made many sinners, very many sinners. So some people think about it biologically. So there's a theory called realism. Right? I remember how the uh, writer of the Hebrew talks about Levi being in the loins of Abraham. Well, same kind of idea. All of us came from Adam, all biologically descended from Adam. So when Adam sinned, all of us were, were in there with him in a sense. He wasn't just acting as an individual. He was, he, in him existed the whole human race. If, you change the DNA of one cell, then all the cells that come from it have this changed DNA. And Adam, all humanity comes from Adam, and when he sinned, all of us sinned in him. Right? That's, what, that's what's called realism. We were really there. Another theory is called uh, federal headship. Right? According to this theory, Adam is our God-appointed representative head. It's like when, when David goes out to fight Goliath, he's the representative of Israel. 
He won, so Israel won. If he had lost, then Israel would have lost. So when Adam sinned, we sinned. When he fell, we fell. But Jesus is our new federal head, so he is our representative now. He's our second Adam, who fought the fight against sin, the world, and the devil on our behalf, and won. His victory is imputed to us, counted as ours. And by the same token, according to this theory, Adam's defeat was imputed to us and counted as ours, because he was our representative, our federal head. So there's a couple of ways, or theories of people trying to make sense of this. Uh, a couple of other theories and variations we won't go into today. But if you don't like any of the theories, there's always the agnostic view. Right? You can say, I accept Adam's corruption and condemnation is transmitted to the race, that because of his sin, we all made us all sinners, but the Bible doesn't actually tell us exactly how, and happy to leave it at that. That's okay as well, right? because we don't have to go beyond the scriptures. Uh, scriptures give us the boundaries of what we, what we have to believe. If we keep within those boundaries, then there's room for debate and discussion and ideas and, and theories. But remember, it's like that because that's not, Paul's actually not trying to teach about this. Paul's point really is, transgression of Adam, yes, it brought a great disaster to the human race, but the obedience of Jesus brought an even greater triumph. His point is about Jesus. So we have to fill in the dots when it comes to the background stuff about Adam. Does that make sense? Okay. Now let's go back and look at the, the tangent uh, that Paul went off before he came back to this main point. Right? Because it must be an important tangent or the Holy Spirit would not have let him off on that tangent. Uh, it says in, back in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all sinned. Right? Now, as he goes off on this tangent, he expects an objection. He expects someone to say, hang on, Paul, hang on, hang on. You said death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, I know Adam sinned. God said not to eat the fruit of the tree, and he didn't. But, but after that, how could anyone have sinned until God gave the law to Moses? Because God hadn't given any instructions, hadn't they? Well, not many anyway. There's no instructions to break. If there's no law, how could anyone have broken the law? So how could anyone have sinned? So Paul, how can you say, all sinned? Well, Paul's response is in verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Right? The, fact is, the fact that you cannot quantify the sin doesn't mean it wasn't there. You may not have been able to count it when there was no law, you may not have been able to measure it, but it was there. Sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. And the evidence of that is in verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Death was reigning from Adam to Moses. In the years between Adam's first sin and the giving of the law through Moses, the penalty of sin still applied. Death was still there. So you can't say there was no sin. And it must have been. Even if the sin was not like the transgression of Adam. Even if it wasn't the breaking of a specific command, like, which, which is what transgression is by definition. 
breaking of a specific command. Sin is, sin is actually broader than that. For one thing, we saw back in Romans 1, that sin is failing to treat God properly, isn't it? It's failing to honour Him as God and give thanks to Him. It's broader than breaking a specific command. Furthermore, Paul hints, remember how Paul hints later, that there's a sense in which we participated in Adam's sin. We were made sinners, verse 19, by Adam's disobedience. So, so whatever the case is, sin was still there. Death was still there. Since the fall of Adam. Even when there was no specific transgression. Even there's no specific law that you broke. Still sinning. Still sinning. Still death. So sin has been here from Adam. Right? One objection answer. But Paul doesn't just answer the objection to his uh, in this in his tangent. He he also makes a qualification. Because he's comparing Adam and Christ, he, he, he doesn't want people to misunderstand the comparison that he's about to make. The similarity between what Adam did and what Christ did is one for many. Adam was, at the end of verse 14, a type of the one to come. A type is someone or something in the Old Testament that prefigures the coming Lord Jesus. Adam was a precursor of Christ. He prefigured Christ. It is something very similar to Christ. First, as one person... He affected all people in an immense way. And that is like Jesus, isn't it? But, what he did was different from what Jesus did, and in many ways, opposite. So Paul doesn't want us to get the wrong idea when he says he's a type of Christ, he's like Christ. He says, but, he says, verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. And again in verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So how are they different? Well, for one thing, the results of the act are different. Different in three ways. Firstly, one act led to death for many, and one act led to life for many. That's verse 15. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The trespass of Adam, his breaking of the law, caused many to die. Not only physically, but spiritually. Left us under God's sentence of eternal death, cut off from him forever. Many died because of Adam's trespass. But on the other hand, the obedience of Jesus Christ, his one act of obedience, had the opposite effect. He brought many under God's grace. And we received the free gift of eternal life by that grace. One act led to death, one act led to life. Or look at it another way, verse 16. Second half. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We're back in the law courts now. What Adam did led to many being condemned, found guilty by God and punished. On the other hand, what Jesus did led many to be justified, found not guilty by God, and acquitted. One led to condemnation, one led to justification. And the third difference is in the outcome of who rules. Verse 17 says, Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. 
But the trespass of Adam led to the reign of death. Death came in because of him. Uh, under death because of him. We'll see more about that next week. But, he says, much more, okay, because the greatness of what he's about to say is, is so much more positive than the trespass of Adam was negative, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You notice the surprising thing here? What's the surprising thing in this verse that you wouldn't expect? Who reigns? We do, isn't it? That's surprising. Those who have received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. That is, those who have received God's gift, who have been treated so kindly by God in the way that we don't deserve, who have been given righteousness as a counted as not guilty, even though we are, we will reign in life because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's like the song we sang earlier. Adam was created to rule the world for God. That's what being made in God's image is about. That's what we human beings were made for. But because of Adam's sin, he couldn't do it. Neither can we. But Jesus, he's the perfect man, the true image, the, and he's the true ruler. Fulfills the purpose of humanity. And because of him, we will be restored one day as well. We will reign in life. We will rule with him. And fulfill the purpose for which we were created. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, remember how he said that therefore, in verse 18, must have been about justification and life from the first half of chapter 5, based on verse 12? Well, Paul has very skillfully brought the argument back to those concepts in the past few verses. And so the therefore in verse 18 fits just nicely uh, in his own context here as well. Therefore, verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now there's only one issue left, I think, for us to figure out to get this passage. We've already seen that Adam's trespass led to death and condemnation for all men. And the obedience of Christ, his going all the way to the cross, being that once and for all sacrifice for us, led to justification and life for all men. But who are the all men? Now it's obviously not a gender thing, right? The Greek word there is inclusive of men and women. The question is, is it people absolutely is everyone who ever lived made righteous? Well, it can't be, can it? Because all this point up to Romans, we've seen that justification is received by faith. It doesn't happen to everyone. 
Even in this passage, verse 17, we read those who receive God's grace and free gift of righteousness are the ones who reign. So why does Paul say all? In verse 19, he uses the word many. That seems to be at first more accurate. But in verse 18, he does say all. I can understand why Paul would use the word all when he's talking about people who are condemned because of Adam. It covers everyone who's not saved by Christ because Adam's the father of us all. But why does Paul use the word all in verse 18 when he's talking about those who are justified in Christ? Is that puzzling? Well, think about the context of Romans. All along, what's he been doing? As he's been explaining the gospel, as, as, he's been, as he's been expounding on what the gospel is, he has been doing it with an eye on the Jew-Gentile issue, hasn't he? All along. In chapter 2 and 3, he shows how Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. In chapter 4, he shows how Jews and Gentiles alike are, being, are justified by faith in Christ. Even back in chapter 1, in his, uh, in his uh, opening statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is the salvation of the power of God, salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. 1.16. See, the whole thing, he's, he's opening up the gospel, but his eyes always Jew, Gentile. And now in chapter 5, he's showing that the death of Jesus, that one act of righteousness, will lead to justification, both for Jew and for Gentile. It's for all. See, the all there doesn't mean every single person individually. It's all kinds of people. It's a perfectly legitimate way of using it there. Both Jews and Gentile. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you can receive the free gift of God's grace by faith. One trespass by Adam led to condemnation for both Jew and Gentile. One act of righteousness by, by, uh, by Jesus received by faith, leads to justification in life, both for Jew and for Gentile. The question is, my friends, the Bible says, verse 17, the ones who reign in life are those who receive God's grace and the free gift of righteousness. Have you received the free gift? Have you been justified, given eternal life because of Jesus? You can't earn a free gift. None of us deserve it. But it will be yours if you come under Jesus as your Lord. If you're willing to entrust yourself to Him and His death on the cross to deal with your sins. What a great start to 2010. You put your trust in Jesus today. And for those of us who are already in Christ, what does this mean for us as we start this new year? It means, brothers and sisters, that there is one, just one person that we can really, really rely on. There is one, just one person that we owe everything to. There is one, just one person whose obedience has given us justification and life. And that person is Jesus. That one act of righteousness, the death of Jesus, leads to justification and life for us all. And friends, there is just one person whose actions can reverse the effect of Adam's sin. 
What Adam did affects every human being, regardless of race or gender or language or background or anything. But the death of Jesus is just as monumental. In fact, it is more monumental in the history of humanity than the fall of Adam. And so the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And likewise, it is not just for people who come from Christian families. Not just for people who speak English. Not just for people who go be in the school. Not just for people who you like to hang out with. It is for everyone. It is for your friends at university. It is for your neighbours that you do not talk to. It is for your old schoolmates who you've reconnected with on Facebook. It is for the annoying person who stands by the water cooler at work and gossips. It's for the mums you meet in your playgroup. It's for the guys you chat with online. It's for the man you buy vegetables from in the market. It's for the accountant who does your tax return. For the men who collect your rubbish. For the residents of that home, for the physically or mentally disabled that we visit. For the Nepali man who guards your office. The Orang Asli in that kampong. It's for the billions of people around the world whom we, you and I don't even know. Jesus is the only one who can save anyone. The death of Jesus is the one event that can bring justification and life. Let's keep that central in 2010. Well, there are only two leaders in this passage. There are only two people in the history of humanity who have had such an eternal impact on millions and millions of others. Only two. Adam and Jesus. Everyone is automatically affected by Adam. So let's take the news of that other one man to everyone we can in 2010. Let's pray. Through one man there came darkness and strife. Through one man there came sin's dreadful stain. Through one man there came hope of new life. Through one man we shall live again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were lost in sin, we were so helpless and hopeless, caught up in our rebellion against you. You gave your son to die for us. And we thank you through that, that through that one act of obedience, the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with our sin and started a whole new humanity in himself. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us in under Christ. We thank you for the justification and the reconciliation and the life that you've given us in Him. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that this year we will be people who really do appreciate this great and wonderful act of this one man. May he be our focus. May we concentrate on him. May we live for him. May we rely on him. May we make him known. Father, we, we pray, Lord, um, that Jesus would indeed be honored in our lives uh, and in the life of this congregation this year. Exalt him, we pray. And we ask this for his sake. Amen.